All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Time Out Talk. We're your hosts, Raphael Singer. And Hunter Leon. And what an absolutely hectic 24 hours it has been. The trade deadline has came and went, and there has been uh, about like a million trades in the NBA, like some superstar names being moved, and just some massive deals that went down. And so we're here to to break it all down for you. Um, And I guess we should start at the beginning. This was a, a bit earlier in the week. But still, this was really the first domino to fall and in, in setting off this chain reaction. And that was Kyrie Irving, who recently demanded a trade and then finally got shipped out to Dallas, along with Markeith Morris, for Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, a 2027 second-round pick and a 2029 first-round pick unprotected, uh, and also a 2029 second. Um, so, Hunter, I mean, we didn't really talk about this on the podcast yet. Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic together in Dallas – what do you think of this pairing? Do you think it's going to work? Um, do you think the Mavs were smart to make this move? And also, what does this mean for Brooklyn? Yeah, I mean, I think that, first of all, you put two incredible guards together, two skilled guards like Kyrie and Luka Doncic, and amazing things are going to happen. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of people try to see where this fits in the line between when Kyrie played with James Harden and when Kyrie played with LeBron, because Luka kind of has traits similar to both LeBron and James Harden. So people are saying, well, is it going to work like it did with LeBron or is it going to flop like it did with James Harden? Uh, and only time will tell. But I th- I side personally more with it'll work more like it did with LeBron. I think having two stars as opposed to three is a big game changer. The only real question mark with this team is will they have any sort of defense because they traded their only really good defender away in Dorian Finney-Smith. Um, and obviously that was this real centerpiece of this deal. This was the guy the Brooklyn Nets or yeah, the Brooklyn Nets wanted to go after. And it looks like they they have given themselves a great collection of wings over there in Brooklyn, young wings and young assets. And for what they were working with, they had very limited time. Kyrie demanded a trade. They made a solid move. I think getting back a first round, two seconds, and two starting quality players is about what you could ask for, for Kyrie Irving in this sort of hectic situation with his uncertainty as a player. And I also think coming from the Mavericks side, they kind of had to pull off something like this because you don't want a situation like the 08-09 LeBron, where it's like his Cleveland could not surround LeBron with the proper talent that he needed to win a championship. And this lets Luka know that the Mavs are willing to make ballsy decisions to get him help. Okay, I disagree with you on one thing, Um, and that's, like, I think that the pairing between Kyrie and Luka is going to work. I I agree with you. I think it's more akin to, like, his time in Cleveland playing with LeBron than that brief stint in Brooklyn with Harden. But I think the only disagreement I have is that this was a good deal for Brooklyn. Because I think Brooklyn, they had a few offers, you know, they had offers in... um, LA, both from the Lakers and the Clippers, there was some interest there. Um, in Phoenix, there was kind of interest across the board because, well, yes, Kyrie is an unpredictable player and, you know, he's on an expiring deal and you would be basically getting a rental with no guarantees. He's still one of the top guards in the NBA and will immediately boost your chances of winning a championship. And so for Brooklyn to take the package that is most on like a, on a win now kind of basis right Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith are are not guys that you're going to develop for the future they're guys who are going to impact winning now especially a guy like Dorian Finney-Smith you know mm-hmm. and so yeah that's true I'm gonna take this deal, instead but, of trying uh, to, like go for young assets and or get more draft capital I think this was a big mistake on Brooklyn's part 
I mean, these are still players that can provide value to a team. And who's to say they can't trade them down the line later in the future years or in the offseason? I mean, I think you also look at the other trades that they were offered, like the Phoenix Suns. They were offered Chris Paul and Jay Crowder. And when you look at Chris Paul's contract, obviously Chris Paul's a win-now player. He's not, definitely not developing Chris Paul for the future. And he's on a far worse contract than Kyrie Irving. Obviously, he's showed signs of decline this year, and he still has three years left on his deal where he's earning a max contract, and that's obviously not something that Brooklyn Nets want to take on. The only team I could have imagined having a, a good deal for building future capital is the Clippers, and maybe if they gave like Luke Kennard, Terrence Mann, like those kinds of players, yeah. but I don't think they had the money to match it, and I don't think it would have worked out. So that's why I say this is probably the best deal because you're getting guys on longer-term contracts who you can trade down the line if it doesn't work out. And if it does work out, you have a large team with a lot of wings that you could probably shop around to the league because they're just players in a, a space who are in high demand. That's fair. And I mean, you make a compelling case. I just think that the Mavs or the Nets, sorry, kind of rushed this, you know, especially with how, they, they, how they dealt with Kevin Durant's trade requests over the summer. They were incredibly patient. You know, they sought out, they heard deals. They didn't get one that they liked. And so what did they do? They kept him on and they played for most of the season with him on the roster. And that was the best course of action. And then here, but the difference Joe Sai to rush this deal, to get it done, to get Kyrie off the, off the board, I think was a mistake. Well, I think it was a few things. For one, Kevin Durant was on the books for five years. He had no leverage. Kyrie is going to walk if he stays in Brooklyn. That's a lot of leverage he has. That is and not only that, not only that, but they kind of had to rush the deal because obviously you see there's a, a lot of trades that happen in the league. It's very possible all these sorts of kinds of things were going to happen behind the scenes, and we really didn't have a clue as fans. They could have known these things were happening, and they need to make a move quick. Yeah. No, that, that is a, that's a fair point. Um, so I, I think the like, leverage is the most important thing. Like, no, that, that, that is a Kyrie's going to walk. Yeah. Kyrie was going to walk and they would have not gotten anything. I guess the only counterpoint to that is like you could have done a sign and trade maybe with that. But I mean, if Kyrie doesn't agree to it, then, you know, Kyrie wouldn't do a sign and trade. He, I think he feels disrespected by the Nets. And he talked about that in his uh, opening press conference with the Mavs. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, also, I, I, yeah. going uh, talking about this trade. Uh, Kyrie Irving did play his first game actually against the Clippers as a Dallas Maverick. Um, Luka Doncic did not play in this game, but this resulted in a win for the Mavericks against the Clippers who were fully healthy. So what did you see from Kyrie Irving in this game? I mean, we saw what Kyrie can do, you know, when he gets the ball in his hands, he had a game high 20 points. He looked extremely comfortable out there. Like uh, no adjustment seemed to be needed for him. He was, you know, pulling up from three there there was a couple of plays where you know they just threw him the ball and he just like rose up and shot it didn't even dribble didn't do anything um he just looked comfortable out there and he had some great passes you know he found Dwight Powell found Reggie Bullock for three um and I think and I don't think Kyrie Irving is a great facilitator but he's a serviceable one and I think that's all you really need when you have a guy like Luka Doncic so I'm really excited to see them play together I think that the fit there makes a lot of sense and I, I want to just talk about this from the Mavs point of view for a second. I fully agree with what you're saying. I think that this was like, if anything, this was a statement to, to Luca from the Mavericks front office to say, we are willing to make these big moves and to surround you with the best talent possible. Like we want you to have a future here in Dallas and we'll do whatever it takes. Um, even if we have to, you know, trade players who we thought were going to be part of our future long-term. Um, mm -hmm. We also so know that Kyrie Irving, 
um, yeah. it can can play that spot up role. He can stand in the corner and hit those hit those threes. You know, he doesn't have to be the guy with the ball in his hands at all times. Yeah. He's not always a high usage player, and that's going to fit perfect next to Luka Doncic. BC already knows how to play that way. And I think that this is going to like we've talked so much this season. The kind of recurring thing with the Mavericks is like Luka can't do it all. They need to get another playmaker. They need to get another ball handler. And what better guy to do it than Kyrie Irving? He's a guy who can just generate his own shot, instant offense, no matter where you put him on the floor. And, you know, it's just going to be just incredible to watch Luka and Kyrie going back and forth. Uh, you know, I- I'm excited to even see Luka play off ball, see what that can be like with Luka as a screener, as a cutter, um, or even a spot of shooter. So I think this deal makes a ton of sense for the Mavs. I'm glad they did it. And one thing, one last thing I'll say about this deal I was really surprised that they were able to keep Christian Wood because I think any deal that I foresaw being made between Brooklyn and Dallas involved Christian Wood being sent to Brooklyn because, you know, I think that's that was their biggest movable asset. But for them to keep Wood on the team is a, a big W by the Mavericks front office. Oh, absolutely. But I think we're ready to move on to the next team because we have so many trades to get through. Um, but... Let's talk about the next big domino that fell. This is one that we've been probably waiting for for over a year. A lot of people have. And that's Russell Westbrook being moved to the Utah Jazz. This is a a long one, so hold your horses. Russell Westbrook and Damian Jones and Juan Toscano Anderson, the Lakers' 2027 first-round pick, which was top four protected, to the Utah Jazz. Mike Conley, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who was waived, uh, a 2024 second round pick, a 2025 second round pick, a 2026 second round pick, all to the Timberwolves. And the Lakers received D'Angelo Russell, Jared Vanderbilt, and Malik Beasley. Wow. Wow. What Not a package. A yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, I want to just get all your thoughts on this. And before you say anything, because I know we've disagreed on this, I, t- I texted you this. I have been one of the bigger Russell Westbrook supporters as a fan of the Lakers. And Look, I uh, this is my uh, analogy. It feels like breaking up with a toxic ex. Like I'm like, <laughs> man, I'm just like, I really, I love this guy. I loved watching him play. I know it wasn't good for the Lakers. I know it wasn't good for me. I knew it wasn't going <laughs> to result to winning, but I just loved it. I just loved him. I loved his energy, and he really grew on me. And I'm very sad to see him go, but I'm happy for this next chapter of the Lakers. Yeah, if if Russell Westbrook's like the toxic ex that you were in love with then I'm like your objective friend who's like, he was not good for you. You were way <laughs> better and you're going to be way better off now that you guys are apart. So like, obviously I think this is a great move for the Lakers. I actually want to start with Utah because they're the one getting Russell Westbrook. I don't me- I don't understand this move like at all from their point of view. I think this was a like, complete misstep. I-, I have no idea what they were thinking in Utah because taking on Russell Westbrook, um, obviously kind of capitulates any chance that they would have at making the playoffs, which I don't think was their intention this year. But, you know, that means that they're obviously playing for the future, which was sort of their timeline. But you would have thought that they would have gotten more either draft capital or young assets in a deal um, involving so many of their players, like D'Angelo, like Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley. Um, But no, all they really got... And Mike Conley. Mike Conley as well, sorry. Um but they only basically got a protected first round pick. That's like the only draft capital they got. And then they got Russell Westbrook, whose deal is expiring, who might get bought out, very likely will. 
uh, Damian Jones, who's barely a, an NBA player at this point, like he's end of the bench kind of guy. And then JTA, who's like a serviceable bench player. So I'm not sure why Utah thought this was a good idea. I can't explain it from their point of view. Um, but Hunter, explain uh, like what you think this deal means for the Lakers and how you see them moving forward post-Russell Westbrook. Yeah, uh, but first, I'm going to agree with you on the Utah thing. This really doesn't make sense to me at all. I mean, they traded three valuable role players to any team trying to contend. Mm -hmm. For a player, they're going to waive, possibly, and two end-of-the-bench guys and one first-round pick. So, I mean, that's questionable. That's but, protected, you know, too. Like, the fact it that is protected. Top yeah. four protected, like, unbelievable. Yeah, uh, but we'll talk about the Lakers here, and we'll also talk about the Timberwolves in a second. But for the Lakers, I think this is really interesting because before this trade, the Lakers had zero players uh, who were top 50 in three-pointers made this season. Now they have two of the top 10 in D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley. Those guys are top, both top 10 in three-pointers made this season, which is an incredible jump. We're going to see a, a high, a massive increase in the volume and the percentage of threes made from this Lakers team after this trade. And I also think that acquiring a guy like Jared Vanderbilt is going to lead to a much needed uh, perimeter defensive specialization that they didn't have before. They do have Rui Hachimura, but he's more so of an offensive type of wing. And I think Jared Vanderbilt provides the exact opposite side of that. He provides the defense and he doesn't have the offensive repertoire. So the Lakers have a lot of wings to work with and a lot of depth to work with now, which they definitely didn't have before. And this team is a far more natural fit around LeBron James and Anthony Davis than Russell Westbrook. Yeah. I mean, when you really look at it, they turned two guys they weren't playing at all and Russell Westbrook into three like real quality role players, which is pretty incredible, especially because D'Angelo Russell's season is probably the best season of his career since Brooklyn, almost averaging 50, 40, 90 from the field on uh, 18 points a game. He is a high uh, turnover kind of guy. I think his assist to turnover ratio is like 2.2, which is pretty bad, but you're not asking D'Angelo Russell to be your facilitator. That's what LeBron James is there for. You're asking him to be your secondary facilitator. So, We'll see what it looks like tonight. I believe that all three of these guys are playing tonight against the Milwaukee Bucks, which mm. is going to be a good game. Yep. Uh, but only time will tell. And none of this even matters if Anthony Davis doesn't buy into the Lakers' real scheme because he has not looked like himself. Yeah, no. I mean, I fully agree with everything you're saying there. I think it's – you have to credit Rob Palenka here for being able to turn, yeah, a bunch of guys that the Lakers were playing uh, a really negative – value contract in Russell Westbrook and one protected first round pick into four quality NBA players. Right. And I'm including Rui Hachimura, even though that that wasn't technically a part of this deal. Yeah. Um, I really like this fit. I like this deal a lot for the Lakers. I think that it provides them with a little bit of everything that they needed. You know, they have a great like actual shooters now in D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley. I'm especially excited for Malik Beasley because he's a guy who can really light it up uh, from beyond the arc. And he's one of the best, like you said, he's, he's top 50 and I think top 10, actually you were saying in three pointers made this season. He, he shoots it at an efficient clip. He's never had, he's never played with a playmaker to the caliber of LeBron James before, which I think is going to be incredible to see. And he's a guy who really can like, shoot it in movement you know he's a guy who can catch it off a screen off the dribble like 
this and, and the same with D'Angelo Russell. Like these are both guys that can sort of pull up for three, which the Lakers have really, really lacked over the past few seasons. Um, and then, as you said, Jared Vanderbilt, he's a nice young player. Um, he still has room to grow, but he is going to be able to provide a bit more uh, defensive flexibility for the Lakers as he's a nice big three and D wing. So I'm excited for the uh, for the Lakers. And I really think that like getting rid of Russell Westbrook should be a cultural culture change. You know, the Russell Westbrook era of the Lakers is over. This is a new chapter in the Lakers. Like everybody can kind of reset and almost start as if it's a new season, because that's how I feel like um, they should be approaching this. So, yeah, I will. I would be surprised if there isn't a new energy on this Lakers team tonight. Yeah, uh, let's, I, I want. I, really I want to move on to talk about the uh, side of this for the Timberwolves. Yeah, the, just to refresh your memory, they received Mike Conley, Nikhil Alexander Walker, uh, in three second round picks. So, how do you feel about this for them? They lost D'Angelo Russell, um, and I believe wait no, Malik Beasley was on the Jazz. Was Jared Vanderbilt? Was, I, think, I think Jared Vanderbilt went to Utah. I think he was in Utah. So okay, oh, he was originally on the Timberwolves, yeah, but then he was traded to Utah last year, and now he's yeah, back. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so I think they only gave up Mike Conley and maybe a few second round picks. Yeah, so I think that this this is a pretty lateral move for the Timberwolves. I mean, I think Mike Conley and D'Angelo Russell are kind of equally like players of equal caliber at this point in their careers. So. I mean, they get a few second round picks out of it. They didn't really lose much. Um, I don't really see this as too significant of a move here. I just see the Lakers as big winners, the Jazz as big losers, and the Jazz, or uh, sorry, the the Timberwolves somewhere middling in between. Um, Yeah, I would agree with you that the Timberwolves are somewhere in between the two, but I think I see this as a slightly more positive move than you do. I did think D'Angelo Russell and Mike Conley are similar as far as stature among the NBA. But I do think that Mike Conley as a veteran presence, as a leader, as a playmaker, is more efficient than D'Angelo Russell, not from a shooting perspective, but from a facilitating perspective. And having a guy who's already played with Rudy Gobert is really going to help them uh, in a veteran who's going to be able to direct traffic really well, because this isn't a team that naturally fits. Rudy Gobert is an awkward player on offense, and that's been proven time and time again. Um when he's on the floor, their offense is way worse. Their offensive rating plummets, I think, by like eight points uh, per game. So I, I think having a guy who's already been playing with Rudy Gobert for years, a veteran, and somebody who can facilitate well is going to help them a lot. Like I mentioned, the assist-to-turnover ratio for D'Angelo Russell was one of his biggest struggles. And something that they didn't really need in uh, on the Timberwolves roster was scoring. They already had Ant-Man. They already have Cat. They already have guys who can score, but they need somebody who can facilitate the ball, especially in this clunky fit. That I mean, you you make a good case there, and I think that is true. I think they are going to benefit from his veteran presence and his facilitating. I just – I don't know. I think the Timberwolves have been really, really underwhelmed by them this year as a team. The Rudy Gobert trade really fell flat in its face. And I think in comparison to some of these other moves in the West that us, like we're going to keep getting into – um, I I just don't think it's too consequential. Uh, I think it raises their floor by a little bit, but I don't think it raises their ceiling. Yeah, they're they're still going to be a playing team and probably at best a first round exit. So let's keep going in the West. Uh, I guess the next domino to fall after Kyrie left, the big question would be surrounding Kevin Durant's future in Brooklyn, and he was pretty promptly traded at one thirty a.m. last night 
uh, me and you both were just like shocked calling each other at basically two in the morning uh, talking about this deal. Kevin Durant and TJ Warren were moved to the Suns for Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, and four unprotected first round picks and a pick swap in 2028. So Hunter, Kevin Durant is going to be playing in Phoenix alongside Devin Booker, CP3, and DeAndre Aiden. What do you think of this move for Phoenix? And then what do you think of Brooklyn's uh, package in return? Man, Phoenix had to pull this off. I think based on the capital they gave, I'm not saying it's a bad deal for them. This is a lot, but that's what you have to give to get a guy like Kevin Durant. I mean, he's really, he's worth the four picks. If we're saying a guy like, like, who's a guy who was traded in recent memory, Rudy Gobert was worth three. You're definitely given four for Kevin Durant. And that's not a question. Um, Also, well, I was referencing the Nets like earlier when we were talking about that Kyrie trade getting very big, having a lot of wings. This is what I was talking about. They received Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, and Jay Crowder. Three very good wings, three large wings. Uh, Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson being young. Jay Crowder just being a solid player and a, a good veteran to have. I think that... The Nets are building something. I mean, they got a ton of draft capital, so they have options. They aren't limited to one path. Uh, they still do have Ben Simmons. So they're a very big team. Nicholas Claxton, very good defensive team. So this could become a pretty good young core. I could see like next year them being one of the better young cores in the league and still having the option of really tanking in trying to make use of those first-round picks. The problem, uh, I, the problem with the tanking, real quick, just while we're on the subject, is... We got to understand, Brooklyn is not just coming from nowhere. They're coming after having James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant all on the same team. The amount of picks they have to give away for that is absurd. So, you know who has the Nets 23? I'll just say, Houston has so much of Brooklyn's draft capital, it's not even funny. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That's scary. Hunter, listen to this. They have 2023 unprotected swap, 2024 unprotected pick. 2025 unprotected swap, 26 unprotected pick, 27 unprotected swap. So they they, they stole their future. The nuts are gonna uh, or the Rockets are having a field day over there. They're celebrating. Oh Holy yeah, crap. But yes, that that is true. But even if they don't go down that route, I said they have another option. They still do have a lot of wings, a lot of talent. Maybe try to get Ben Simmons to be your number one guy. I know that we've made <laughs> okay. No, no, think... listen. We've made a lot of fun of Ben Simmons, but I think he's been under a lot of pressure his entire career, and I think finally he's going to have no presence. Like nobody's going to give a crap about him anymore, and maybe he'll actually start to play slightly marginally better. So your uh, solution for Brooklyn is he's been under a lot of pressure recently. Let's make him the number one option. Of the team. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying make him the number one option, but I'm saying maybe he'll grow a little bit now that he has nothing to worry about for a little while, and. I think that this team has I'm like, okay. they're, many... they're incredibly defensive incredible defensively. They have Nick Claxton, Mikhail Bridges, Ben Simmons, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder. Just those guys alone. They're they very oh, and Dorian Finney Smith as well. Yeah. So I mean, okay, I'll say this about Brooklyn while we're on the subject. I actually like a lot of the young pieces that they have now. I think, you know, the list kind of goes on Mikhail Bridges, uh, and I'm this is the guys that they got. Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson um dorian finney smith they already have royce o'neill as well they have um (laughs) that's funny they do have they have a lot of guys they have royce o'neill one guy that we're not mentioning that i really want to talk about cam thomas this guy is back-to-back 40 point games 
he looks great. And I think he's going to be able to thrive without Kyrie and without uh, KD. I think he's going to be like the number one scoring option or, or close to it. And I think that Brooklyn, they do have a lot of potential. And I'm really interested to see what pans out with them. I just, I don't know. Like they, they have like every single role player to have a successful team without any of the stars. That's what, that's the kind of confusing thing now. I guess they're just hoping one of the players like Cam Johnson takes that leap or, you know, uh, Cam Thomas takes that leap. into. I think Cam Thomas has looked incredible. I mean, he had back-to-back 40-point games, and then he dropped 37. He almost had three in a row. So he he looked great. So I think think he's the next man up for them. While we're – I still want to say one thing about Brooklyn, okay? So Mm -hmm. for them to have Kevin Durant, uh, Kyrie Irving, James Harden all on the same team, to see what all those three players turned into, like the, the absolute failure that that trio was, and to see what that turned into, do you think that that's like, do you think it ended in a good way? Like, do you think Brooklyn got a good return in exchange for those three superstar level players? When you when you look at it, is we lost Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant, all guys still in their primes, all guys still dropping 30-plus points per game if they want to. Um, no. I do not think they got an equivalent return, but I don't really think they foresaw when they traded James Harden that this kind of thing was going to happen. I don't even think after the start of this year, they foresaw this was happening. I think Kyrie Irving's trade request really is the domino that made almost all these trades fall. Do we know like why that happened? Because that, that really blindsided us when we saw that Kyrie Irving trade request, because the Nets were playing really well this year. They went on, obviously, that, I think, 11-game winning streak. They were the four seed in the East. They It seemed like all the pieces were really clicking together. Why Why did this piece fall? Do we have any inkling? Yeah, he talked about it at his press conference, his first press conference with the Mavericks. He said that he felt disrespected by the organization. Um, he felt disrespected by his teammates as well. He didn't name any names. Um but he said he wanted to be in a city that would value him. And he also thinks, I think he was chasing the bag as well. He wanted to make his money, which, you know, I'm never going to fault a guy for wanting to make his bag, wanting to get his money. But somewhere in his mind, he has to know that he brought a good amount of this upon himself. Yeah. And I think the Kyrie Irving like dilemma is that he's so talented, a basketball player, but he brings so much baggage with him that it's honestly like the such a gamble as an organization to to take him um onto the team. So I think that, you know, regardless of whatever organization he plays for, there's always going to be some strife there. So if that's the reason, I, I don't really see it from Kyrie Irving's perspective. But regardless, if you're the Nets, it's kind of crazy. In in like 20 years, right? You've had like two of on paper the greatest super teams of all time. You know, they had that KG Paul Pierce uh, team in the early 2010s that obviously spectacularly failed. And now everyone's going to be looking at this like early 2020s Brooklyn super team as an equivalent failure. You know, you have three arguably top 15 players all in their primes playing together and they can barely, they did, they never got past the second round. So it's kind of incredible to see the collapse of Brooklyn. I think we're going to be talking about like what went wrong there for a long time. Uh, as a one, f- one inch on the line changed history. That's going to be a crazy documentary <laughs> to see. And I, and I was, I think 
there's so much behind the scenes that we don't know about what happened there. Um, and I'm just like, it's it's really crazy to hear that it's all over now, you know? Um, but I guess with one door closing, another window opens. And so KD is going to start a new era in Phoenix. Talk, talk to me about that. What do you think of this fit? And what do you think of uh, Phoenix's chances this year? I mean, that's just a beautiful fit. I mean, you really, you're giving up Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson, who are valuable assets to your team. But I was shocked that they didn't have to give up DeAndre Ayton. I really did think he was going to be a piece that they were going to have to give up. So for him to still be there is really incredible. Uh, and I think they definitely, most people would probably think, I'd probably rather keep Mikhail Bridges over DeAndre Ayton. But they needed to keep DeAndre Ayton over Mikhail because Kevin Durant can replace Mikhail Bridges in the sense like he can slot into that role. But he definitely can't replace DeAndre Ayton and what he does for that team. So I think this is the best case scenario for that Suns. It's a perfect fit. I mean, he's him and Devin Booker, like that is unguardable. That's scary. Uh, Chris Paul is an incredible facilitator, and I'm excited to see the the action that happens between Chris Paul and Kevin Durant. And maybe Chris Paul will finally win his, win his first ring. And I don't call this a super team because I don't think Chris Paul is that guy anymore. And I, I just want to know, do you think the super team era in the NBA is over, at least for a few years? I don't think so. I mean, I think there's always going to be super teams. And some people would consider this a super team, at least like – you look at the names on paper, I guess it would be. But obviously, I, I disagree with those people, and I, I'm more in a, alignment with you. I think CP3 is not that guy anymore. And DeAndre Aiden, is, I'm just so low on him. I think he's an incredibly soft player and doesn't really have the mentality to take over games and become a star like he really should have been. Um, I'll say this about Phoenix. Uh, I obviously, I like the fit, and I think this is a deal you have to make because you can never pass up the chance to trade for a superstar like this. But the, I do have a lot of reservations the more I think about it. One, you look at their bench, right? Who do they have on the bench here, right? Because campaign it, and who else? <laughs> That's Tory. Oh, they have Tory Craig. Uh, he might start for them, though. They have Josh Okogi, Damian Lee is still there, Landry Shamit, uh, Dario Saric, I believe, was traded. Yeah, so um, there's really like that's about really it. sparse here on the bench. This is a very, very top heavy team. And obviously, when your top, like top is this good, like it doesn't really matter. But I could see that as being a very as a potential weakness. And then also, just like analyzing Phoenix this year, like Kevin Durant is a great addition. It's going to add a ton on your offense. But there are serious concerns I do have for like how this Phoenix team is going to run. Right, F- Chris Paul has not really been playing at an alt at a high level this year. I think he's had a lot of missteps and just like hasn't been the player that we know him to be. And I think we we can see him sort of capitulate in the playoffs. Uh, we've seen it time and time again. And DeAndre, and as I was saying, like I think this year more than any year prior, like has showcased his sort of um, like stagnation and uh, unwillingness to sort of take over and improve his game in a, in a significant manner. So I think that, like people are saying, like, oh, just give the Suns the championship already. I have a lot more doubts about this move than I do for Kyrie in in, in Dallas. I honestly think Kyrie and Luca will go further than this Suns team. That is my hot I, take. I don't know if I would say that. I think, huh? I I don't think that this automatically makes them like the finals. You know, like MV. Like this team isn't just going to win the finals because they got Kevin Durant. I'm definitely not in that boat. I'd agree with you there. 
I think Kyrie and Luca and the the teammates they have around them is a better all-around unit, but I think there's more question marks around that team when it comes to playoff performance because of that lack of defense than I have for this Suns team. Just because I think it's still the Stars League, Kevin Durant and, and Devin Booker are going to win you games. But I also, when I think about it more, there's also defensive concerns for this team. Right. They, have, they don't have any wings anymore. And Kevin Durant, Kevin books. Durant is an, is an underrated defender, 100%, but he's he can't do everything. Um, like Chris Paul again is has progressed as a defender, and of course he's going to have regressed as a defender because he's thirty seven. And Booker is not a good defender either. Like this starting lineup, yeah. there's a lot of holes defensively. And and I mean you can't expect DeAndre Ayton to do it all. He's not really that versatile, shot blocking big that you would want in a team with such little wing defense. This is a stars league, right? Superstars win you series and, and superstars win you championships. But at the same time, like it's those glue guys that sort of come up big for you when you need them most. You know, how many big moments did Mikhail Bridges have in that 2021 run? You know, Cam Johnson as well. He was incredible for them in the finals. Um, and so losing those two pieces is I think they're going to really like miss their absence. Um, but at the same time. I don't want to like, I think we, we've been castigating this move a lot and then saying it's, you know, pointing out all the flaws. But at the same time, you have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and DeAndre Aiden and Chris Paul. Like just those four names alone makes this a really scary team. And I like the addition of TJ Warren too. I think he's a, a solid scorer that could just give them a little bit of offensive versatility. Um, but overall... Yeah, and I think the fact that Kevin Durant is on the books for so long gives them a lot of flexibility. That's true. You know, I think the fact they got him on a long-term deal. KD, theoretically, I mean, who knows what the future may hold with this guy. Um, theoretically, he'll be in Phoenix for a while. So, you know, it's got to feel good for the front office there. Speaking of KD, though, like, KD sort of went... He started in Oklahoma City, went to... Golden State, obviously, won those two championships, went to go do it by himself in Brooklyn, wasn't able to, failed time and time again, and now sort of abandoned ship and went to Phoenix. So how does this change the way we talk about Kevin Durant and his legacy? I don't think it impacts how we talk about Kevin Durant's legacy. Not yet. Not yet? Only time will tell. I think Kevin Durant in his career has been seen as a guy who, like, hasn't been able to do it himself. And I think that was the narrative while he was in Brooklyn. I don't think anything has changed. That's fa- that's a fair point. I guess, like, if they win a championship in Phoenix, then that's going to, you know, well, that's a conversation we have to have. But mm-hmm. I guess we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Um, I, I will I, say, I also yeah. want to talk about, we, we keep going back and forth talking about Kyrie, KD, the Mavs, the Suns. This is a, a, a rivalry that has developed over the past season before KD and Kyrie were even here. I mean, you know, we talked about, you know, everyone's tough when they're up, that famous Luka Doncic quote. And then he came back and absolutely obliterated them in game seven. Mm -hmm. Uh, Suns learned nothing from that series. And now we're at the point where, you know, old friends turn into new foes and Kyrie and KD are on these teams. Mark your calendar for March 5th, because that's the first time they play each other. And I am so excited because that's going to be a great game. This this has got to be one of the NBA's best new rivalries. Yeah, I'm super probably the best new rivalry in my opinion. This, if if I wanted if I could see one playoff series in the entire playoffs, it would be uh, 
Dallas versus Phoenix. And that I would think be... the Battle of LA would also be pretty cool. We'll, we'll talk about the Battle of LA because, <laughs> you know, the, the new look Lakers against the retooled Clippers finally meeting in the playoffs would be incredible. And we'll, we'll get into some of the Clippers moves. But I think, you know, let's keep it moving. There's a, a million trades we got to get into. So uh, we're going to talk about some of the other more high profile deals that went down. Obviously, none to the same caliber, but the Knicks made a move pretty early in the deadline. Uh, they they picked up Josh Hart from the Blazers in exchange for Cam Reddish, Steve Mikhail Luke, Ryan Archidiacono, Archidiac- <laughs> and a 2023 lottery protected first round pick. So, what do you think of this fit of Josh Hart on the Knicks? And do you think they gave up too much for him? Yeah, I mean, I really do think Josh Hart is a good for, for the Knicks team. He's a really solid defender, hits the three ball at a good clip, and is, is just a sturdy body to have. Um, I think that this Knicks team definitely lacked some guard defending. They, You know, you have uh, – oh, my God, I'm blanking on names. You have Archie Barrett, obviously. You have – Oh my God, who was on the Mavs? Jalen Brunson. Holy crap! Why yeah. can't I remember his name? Uh, you have Jalen Brunson, um, and obviously RJ Barrett has is, hasn't made ton of stretches as a defender, but he's not a bad defender. But this definitely adds to some of that depth and gives you a nice bench presence. Um, really, Cam Reddish is the the centerpiece of this deal, but you don't care about Svi Mikhail Luke or Ryan Archidiakono. Uh, so. I'd say that they didn't really lose out on too much. And yes, they did lose out on their first round pick for this year, but the Knicks aren't looking to find new first round picks. They're trying to win now. And obviously they're not looking to like, this team isn't going to win the NBA finals. This team isn't, might not go far in the playoffs, but at the very least they have a fun team and a team that can try to make a push somewhere. And I think Josh Hart helps tighten that rotation a little bit because Cam Reddish isn't a guy who's going to win you games now. Yeah, and also Cam Reddish was not a guy that was getting serious minutes mm-hmm. in New York. Uh, Tom Thibodeau had a strange sort of bias against playing him. I'm not sure what the 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 reasoning was, but you know I think he's going to really thrive in Portland, uh, and he's going to get a much bigger role. Hopefully, I think Cam Reddish is a guy who has a really high ceiling as a scorer, and so I'm excited to see him in a new home. I think that you know obviously he was in in Atlanta first, and then went over to New York. I'm hoping he finds his home in Portland uh, as the Blazers certainly need all the help they can get. Uh, I think he's really the big, the big piece here along with that first for the Blazers. I think uh, Svi Mikhailuk was already moved and Ryan Archidiakono is not going to be a rotational player. And then in terms of Josh Hart for the Knicks, Josh Hart is kind of like a smaller Draymond Green um, who's a bit of a better shooter. He can do a little bit of everything for you. He's a great defender. He's an incredible rebounder for his size. He averages like 8.2 a game, and it's it's really not uncommon, and he's only 6'4". It's not uncommon for him to just rack up double-digit rebounds um, in a game. Yeah, I, I think a, a baby Draymond is a good comparison. Like, He does all the small little winning things, and so for a team that's trying to make a serious playoff push, um, I think that he's really going to help their chances. Uh, just do all the small little winning plays that uh, just help you uh, c- close out close games. And-, and how do you feel about this for the Blazers? This really confused me on their end because Josh Hart, like you said, is a guy who's going to win you games now. Yeah, Really good rotation piece. And obviously when you have Damian Lillard, you're trying to win now. And they're not even in the plan right now. I believe they're standing at like the 11 seed or somewhere, somewhere around there. And they take guys who obviously they uh, already dropped Svi Mikhailuk 
Ryan Archer Diakono is not going to play you minutes. So you do get Cam Reddish and a first round pick, but how does that help you now? And how does that help Damian Lillard? Um, I, I'm not sure. I really don't understand this move uh, within the context of the Blazers like deadline day, right? Because they were a team that I thought was going to be making much bigger moves. Um, and I thought this one might be the first domino uh, to fall in terms of that. But what ended up happening, just to kind of talk about some of the other deals the Blazers made, right? They they got Cam Reddish. They traded Gary Payton away um, to get five second-round picks. And then they were able to get Matisse Thibel from the Sixers. So they essentially got Matisse Thibel, Cam Reddish, and five second-round picks in exchange for Josh Hart and Gary Payton. And who it, were two good defenders who would win you games. And if it, And if that sounds like, they basically moved laterally and did absolutely nothing. That's because that's exactly what happened. They got five second round picks for nothing. They didn't use a single one on this deadline. I don't understand what they're doing. And it seems like they're just squandering another season of Damian Lillard's excellence. Um, and I just, I don't know, like Joe Cronin needs to take a good long look in the mirror and reevaluate his position as general manager in Portland uh, because I don't get this move at all. Yeah, we're going to talk about some teams who we think are winners and losers of this draft a little later. And foreshadowing, they're definitely one of the losers. Uh, let's move on to this next deal. Uh, this We're talking about them chronologically for the most part. Um, this next domino of the fall, this is a guy, Jakob Pertl, to the Raptors. Um, for Ken Burge, a 2024 first-round pick in two seconds to the Spurs. Jakob Pertl started his career on in Toronto Uh so he was part of that, I believe. Was it the Kawhi Leonard? Yes, it was well, the Kawhi Leonard trade. Uh, he was part of that deal that sent DeMar DeRozan to the Spurs. And now he's making his return. And I think the rap, or the Spurs got a pretty good haul. They got a first pick and two seconds for Jakob Pertl, which I think I don't think that's necessarily an overpay, but I wasn't thinking that Jakob Pertl was going to go for that much. He's a solid backup center. He can even be a starting center. He's he's does everything you want your center to do as a role player. Um I don't know how much this improves their team if you're the Raptors, but you know, it's just a, a trade I want to mention. Yeah, no, I like this. I like this move for Toronto. Uh, did they give up too much? Maybe, but I mean, they basically gave up a first and two seconds. Ken Birch was barely a player in Toronto. Um, and they got a guy that, you know, they, they drafted, they wanted this guy. They developed him. Obviously they couldn't pass up the quad trade and it worked for them, but to get him back, um, it's good for their future. You know, he's still a young player, only drafted uh, some like, uh, I was going to say uh, not, not too many years ago, but at 2016 at this point, Hunter, is seven years ago. Isn't that kind of wild? Oh, that sounds, that sounds wrong. <laughs> yeah, so never mind. He's like, you know, but he's still a, a very solid NBA player. Um, He puts up good numbers on good efficiency. Uh, he's actually ninth in the league in terms of field goal percentage. So he's a very efficient player. And... He's just like a, a good young center that you can build around. So not mad at that. And the Spurs get um, Spurs get some draft capital in return. So I think this is more of a W for the Spurs. Um, but, yeah, I agree, especially yeah. because the Raptors aren't really doing anything this season. I thought they were going to be a bigger centerpiece for the NBA at this deadline. And they didn't really seem to have make, made any splashes. So... That, that was really all I had to say about the Raptors. I figured they, they would do more. But yeah, we'll they really talk about the Raptors didn't... more as like a team that really kind of floundered at this deadline, didn't do a single thing of, uh, mm -hmm. of note. So 
Uh, I guess we can keep going. So Thomas Bryant, this is a bit of a shocking move. Um, Thomas Bryant was traded uh, to Denver for Davon Reed and three second round picks. And then also, I I want you to talk about this in the larger context of the of another trade mm-hmm. the Lakers made, and that's receiving Mo Bamba from Orlando in exchange for Patrick Beverly. Yeah. So obviously they moved Thomas Bryant to make space for Mo Bamba. I uh, also Wenyan Gabriel is another guy they want to give some more playing time who definitely deserves the time, and Thomas Bryant was incredible for us. I mean, especially in that stretch where AD went down, he was the second best player every single time down the floor. He was, you know, just dominating in the fourth quarters. But at the end of the day, he's a really good regular season player and he's a good backup big, but he has very limited defensive capability. And it's hard to play those kinds of guys in the playoffs, especially when they're slow bigs who can be taken advantage of on the defensive end. Uh, So the Lakers obviously saw that. And that's why they go for a guy in Mobamba who's more defensive and more able to play uh, and probably take some of the more wear and tear that you probably don't want Anthony Davis to t- be taking the brunt of. Uh, so obviously Devon Reed is a guy shooting guard, like third string, you know, it doesn't really matter. Uh, you get three second round picks, which I thought the Lakers were also going to use to make some moves, but uh, they it's good for them to get some more capital. Um, and talking about this from the Nuggets side, this is great for the Nuggets. I mean, I'm not sure I give three first or three second round picks for Thomas Bryant, uh, uh, but you 100% needed a backup big for Jokic. Uh, and Thomas Bryant is a very dominant offensive center. And I mean, not paralleling him to Jokic at all, but that's what Jokic specializes in the offensive side of the ball. The, he's an offensive center. So the Nuggets have catered, catered their team to playing around offensive centers. So coming in for the second unit, giving Jokic some rest time, slotting Thomas Bryant into that team isn't going to be too hard uh, if you, you are able to find somebody to facilitate because you've already catered your team to an offensive center. Yeah, I think this is a good move around the periphery for Denver. Like you're saying, the fit is very apparent and he kind of fits the mold that Jokic has sort of built there in Denver. I think Denver is a team that a lot of people are sleeping on because they didn't make a bunch of big moves, but they, you know, they've been at the top of the West for pretty much the entire season. They got Jokic playing at an MVP level. Obviously, Murray and MPJ are still there. They're extremely well coached. Um, they're a gritty team. And now adding Thomas Bryant is going to be just another sort of chip or another sort of cap in their th- um feather in their cap is the is the um yeah and i also want to talk about patrick beverly real quick i think he totally got waves do you think he's gonna get waves i don't know i mean i think they might see it out like he's a good locker room guy for them and if not they might wave him but i think it's kind of funny because i think patrick beverly got totally blindsided i totally think he thought he was a laker for good um especially because d when d'angelo russell became a laker he posted uh, a photo, uh, or maybe he didn't post the photo, but he commented on the photo of him and D'Angelo Russell on the Timberwolves together, and he was like, "The gang is back, baby!" <laughs> and then, like an hour, a few hours later, he gets traded. Uh, so poor uh, Patrick Beverly. Thank you for your time as a Laker. Well serviced, but uh, we're excited for this new chapter with Mo Bamba, and uh, you know, we'll we'll see what it looks like. But I think this is the right move from the Lakers end. I think Mo, Mo Bamba was a guy that was talked about in the past offseason to be our MLE. Mm. Um, and we end up getting him here. So 
no complaints on our end. And I think this is still a win for the Magic because they already found their core guys at, at that center position. They have they have Paulo. He's not a center. He's a power forward. But it's very limited for the minutes at that those big positions because Bull Bull has also been incredible for them. Um, and they just don't have the space to develop Mobamba. And getting Patrick Beverly is a guy maybe who can uh, give you some advice for, for Jalen Suggs, give some advice for just all those young guys, Cole Anthony uh, to Franz Wagner. You know, there's a, there's a lot of young talent in this team who Patrick Beverly can impart wisdom to as long as he is able and willing. Yeah. I mean, I think I personally think he's going to get waived or, or bought out and, and picked up by a contender. I think Patrick Beverly is always a guy you want on like a team that's at least competing for something like mm-hmm. you're kind of wasting him away on a team that's doing nothing and is trying to actively lose. So if that's the case, then why would, I mean, I'm not saying that they're not going to waive him, but why would the, the magic make this trade if they get no draft capital in return? That's a good, that's a good question. And I'm, I'm really not sure. Maybe they, uh, Patrick, because Beverly essentially that would give so, Mo Bamba away for free for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess, <laughs> I guess they're going to maybe keep Patrick Beverly and just see what they can get next season. I just I or maybe like next season they think they're going to compete for something and they want Patrick Beverly there to be sort of the tone okay. setter, you know, to help shape the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for the Lakers, I like this deal. I think you know the Lakers. We always talk about them needing a big uh, defensive g- uh, guy who can sort of take the brunt of the regular season and, and take a bit of the load off Anthony Davis's shoulders. And Mobama is that guy. You know, they finally got him. His name is always been connected to the Lakers for about a year now. And I think that he's he's a, still a relatively young player who has some room to develop. Um, and offensively, he's really not as talented as um, as Thomas Bryant. His game is a lot less polished. But, you know, there's there's a lot of bright spots there. He he can shoot the three at a relatively decent clip. And that while you don't want to play him like a spot-up shooter, like he can kind of stretch the floor. Um, and he's just kind of a good lob threat as well. So I think yeah, and good... another thing for the Lakers is they just took a bunch of guys who wouldn't be on the books next year and turned them into salaries. So they actually have a fulfilled roster, a young roster, guys who they can develop at least somewhat uh, going into the 2023-2024 season. So this wasn't just a move for this season, but also a move for next season, uh, which I think people forget about. As well. Yeah, this is also sort of establishing some future. Like Lakers were able to pick up a lot of younger talent, which is a great, great uh, shift away from you know getting a literal retirement home like we had last year uh, with guys like Melo on the roster. Yeah, well, I think the difference is in the past few years the Lakers have kind of established this culture of taking guys who have been kind of th- tossed out by the league, guys who were once good players or just had a chance to prove themselves and they didn't necessarily do it right. And the Lakers say, Hey, come here on a one-year loaner prove in the biggest spotlight that you're worth it and go get your bag somewhere else. And now the Lakers have finally put their foot down and said, okay, we can't just keep doing this. We can't keep having guys in and out of the lineup. We need consistency. And that's what they've done. Uh, so let's get into this next trade. Cause obviously we've talked a lot about the Lakers. Um, let's talk about Jay Crowder because we talked about him earlier being moved as a part of that uh, Brooklyn Nets trade, but he is now a member of the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, which is pretty scary. Uh, the Bucks also got two seconds in that, tra- or sorry, two seconds went to the Nets in that trade. And another part of this trade was Pacers. 
getting Paul or sorry, George Hill, a former Pacer, Serge Ibaka, who is now a free agent, Jordan Nawara, and three second round picks. How do you feel about Jay Crowder being a buck? Because the other things are very minor, but this is the real important business here. Well, I think it's hilarious that basically Jay Crowder sat the entire season in Phoenix because he thought he was a starter and Phoenix disagreed, only for him to go to Milwaukee where he is almost certainly not going to be a starter. (laughs) Like, this guy is not starting. Let's just look quickly at Milwaukee's depth, right? Like, there's at least two guys that are going to start above him um, at the same position. Well, obviously Chris Middleton. Yeah. Middleton holiday, you know, Grayson Allen definitely is deserve that role. Um, and even you can make a case that Joe Ingles or Javon Carter is going to, you know, have a bigger role than Jay Crowder. I personally, I, I think the idea, I saw this tweet, the idea of Jay Crowder is better than the actual player. Like the idea of a three and D wing That's funny. <laughs> is great. But you know, when you see him on the court, he just brings a lot of drama and he misses a lot more than he makes it. Um, at least the eye test says that. So yeah. I, I think the Bucks gave up a little too much in this deal. Five second round picks just for Jay Crowder is kind of a, a lot. But I guess they, they don't really care about their future, I guess. Yeah, I guess I guess so. Because then, wait, currently they're starting obviously Drew Holiday. Um, who's is Grayson Allen? They're starting two, then Chris Middleton, uh, Giannis, and Brooke Lopez. That's their five, and I don't see that changing because why would you put Jay Crowder, a guy who has no chemistry, uh, with these guys and put him in for Grayson Allen? Because obviously, Jay Crowder is going to fit perfectly as a backup to Chris Middleton, but Jay Crowder doesn't want to be a backup, it makes no sense, yeah. And I just don't like for for uh. For Jay Crowder, obviously, is limited control in the situation, but I think it's funny just how it turned out. Mm-hmm. I, I think that for the Pacers and for the Nets, this was just about, you know, getting the kind of assets that you can get. I don't think they really, like, this is too consequential of a move for them. But Jay Crowder, hopefully he has an impact in Milwaukee. Um, he's certainly a guy who can make an impact. But, uh, yeah, I don't think too much to say there. Let's keep it moving. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Sixers... Didn't make a ton of moves this deadline, but they did get Jada McDaniels um, from the Hornets. Um, so Svee Mikhailuk, it, this is a three-team three, three team trade. Svee Mikhailuk and a couple second-round picks went to the Hornets, and then the Blazers got Matisse Thybul. So what do you think of the fit Matisse in Portland and Jada McDaniels in Philly? Yeah, we talked about the Blazers a good bit, and I'm just – I think Matisse Thybul fits. I mean, he's a really good defender, uh, perimeter defense. And he does what you want him to do. He's obviously has a lot of room to improve offensively. But what I don't understand is he just gave up two guys in Josh Hart and Gary Payton, who were both very good defenders, but also had other aspects to their game that Matisse Teibel is trying to develop. He hasn't doesn't have them yet. So obviously you're not trying to win right now if you're taking on all these picks in Matisse Teibel. I thought this was, like you were saying, all part of a bigger trade, but that hasn't happened. Uh, I do like Jaden McDaniels to the Sixers. Yeah, wait, can I, I say one thing? Can I I yeah. think I think in the doc we wrote Jaden McDaniels, but we're actually talking about Jaylen McDaniels. We're talking about Jaylen McDaniels. Okay, that's a big difference. <laughs> yeah, come on. Come on now. But uh, yeah, so anyway, about Jay- Sorry, I thought Jaden McDaniels was now a member of uh, this team. Wait no, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is Jalen McDaniel's. My yeah. bad. Uh, that's a that's a big difference. Um, 
<laughs> I was going to say Jaden McDaniels to this team is a massive addition, but doesn't matter anymore. Um, I think this this is marginally better for the 76ers um, because you, Matisse Tybal is pretty limited in what you can do with them. Uh, but I don't think this changes where they are. They're still a contender, and this doesn't push them to like the favorite or anything like that. Yeah, it's just some good a good um move for depth. You know, he's gonna be a good backup for Mate- for Tobias Harris and um I'm blanking who the other wing there. The, who's the other starting wing in Philly? Oh wait, it, it's obviously it's James Harden, Joel Embiid, uh, Tyrese Maxey. Oh, PJ T- Tucker. PJ Tucker. PJ yes, Tucker. yes, yes. I don't know. Why I was blanking on that, but um yeah, no, I think this is just a decent move. Uh, let's keep it moving. Uh, so Bones Highland, he was a guy that would he his name was a lot in trade talks because the Nuggets didn't really like his lack of defensive, I guess, output. And so he event he got moved to the Clippers for two second round picks. Thoughts? Yeah. Uh I mean, this was a move I didn't understand from the Nuggets because I think the Nuggets lacked depth. I think they were looking for players. And yes, the capital is nice, but when you have a guy like Jokic you're trying to win now, you're the one seed. Um, and I think this is a big win for the Clippers because they already have so much defense. They're looking for uh, guards. They're looking for shooters. This fits the Clippers mold perfectly um, and is very coherent with what I've seen the Clippers do in the past few years as far as the moves they'd make, uh, made, adding guys like Luke Kennard. Obviously, he's not there anymore, but they've. this is consistent with what the Clippers' identity is. But I, I don't understand this move if I'm the Nuggets because I'm trying to retain as much depth as I can because I don't have a ton of assets as far as my bench goes. Uh, how do you feel about this trade? Because I, I, I didn't understand this from Nuggets perspective. I mean, I, I get it. I don't think, I mean, personally, like looking at the discourse about what Nuggets fans think of him, they had really grown sour on Bones Highland. I oh, think, really? Yeah. They, they really were like eager to see him out of there because he was just such a liability on defense. Obviously he could give you, a lot on offense. He was a great scorer and, you know, kind of electric on that end. But I guess his lack of defense really was costing them. Um, and so to get only two second round picks in exchange for him is, I, I feel like a bit of a low ball. Like they could have yeah. gotten more, but I, it seems like as though they were desperate to part ways. And for the Clippers, you know, this is just another, another weapon that they have at their disposal. They have so many. I think one through 15 are all real guys who they can play. Like, I don't know that I've seen a team with so much depth that every single one of their players could be on any NBA roster. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of crazy that like the depth for the Clippers, like you look at their literally like their third unit um, is like, you know, you got guys like Eric Gordon and Norman Powell um, <laughs> in their third it, unit. That's crazy. Terrence, yeah, like it's pretty absurd. Yeah, Terrence, so, man. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's a lot of depth there in the Clippers. So um, let's move I on got, to the next deal because there's just so much to talk about, I unless I you want to mention something. I just want to say, like, while we're talking about the Clippers, let's just talk about all the Clippers deals. Mm. So they picked up uh, Mason Plumley and Eric Gordon as well. Um, basically, all the specifics that you got to know about these deals that they, they parted ways with Reggie Jackson and John Wall and Luke Kennard, um, and a little bit of draft capital. But so the Clippers picked up this deadline, Bones Highland, Mason Plumley, and Eric Gordon. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a, a pos- net positive for the Clippers. I think that they're, 
they're looking to add some offensive weapons and get a backup big because they they really don't have anyone outside of Ivica Zubats, who is a solid starter for them. But Mason Plumlee is probably one of the the prototypical premier backup center in the NBA. He does everything you want a backup center to do. And I think that a lot of NBA analysts and just people around the league have been saying this, like Mason Plumlee would probably be one of the best backup bigs and they just got him. Uh, so that's pretty scary. Uh, I think that Eric Gordon as well is another guy, just a lights out shooter. Like apparently Bones Highland isn't very good on defense. I mean, I can't say I've watched a ton of Bones Highland, but I was, I'd heard good things about him. Mm-hmm. So uh, I assume that he's also going to just be another offensive weapon. And when you have a team with so much wing depth and so much defense and two two centers who are pretty solid defensively, you're not going to need to worry nearly as much about Bones Highland and Eric Gordon on the defensive end because you just have so many guys who can defend like five times better than the average NBA player. Yeah, I mean, like, let's not forget Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Robert Covington. like Norman Powell. I mean, yeah, the list goes on and on. Lot of good defenders on this team. I like I like these moves for the Clippers. I think that it's become clear as the season went on. The whole John Wall experiment did not sort of pan out. I think it's funny also that John Wall is going back to Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that is funny. He's probably going to get waived or just again. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't really know where John Wall's future lies, but I just would like to say you you predicted that John Wall would pan out well in in. In LA, he didn't. He, hey, to be fair, he played well while he was there. He did not play bad. He was a, a good asset for them, and he played well. I just think that when it came to the playoffs and the postseason, he didn't pan out to what they wanted him to be. Uh, and I'm not mad at my, my prediction with him. He did play and have a successful career for the Clippers. Don't undervalue him. Um. Okay. Yeah, uh, no, if you look at the stats on the, on the Clippers for the season, he played pretty decent. It was okay. Yeah, I guess he was fine, but like he was still pretty inefficient. Still didn't fix his shooting. No, no, he was uh, he was John Wall. What you'd expect of a John Wall. Yeah, okay, that's fair. So I guess like the. Okay, but let's let's just keep going because I mean, there's so much to talk about, and I know we're trying to wrap it up for the fans because we don't want to have a two hour long podcast episode. Yeah. Uh, but let's talk about the other parts of this Eric Gordon trade. Uh, so the. Grizzlies receive Luke Kennard. I think that's the only other big part of this trade. Uh, mm. The Grizzlies just received a knockdown shooter on the team that already has a lot of good shooters and also a good amount of defense. How do you think this impacts their rotation? And do you think this is going to result to some more wins? Yeah, I mean, he's just going to slot in nicely. Like Luke Kennard's a, a guy that any team could use. He's a pure shooter. Um, very good on that. For You know, very good at doing that. Um, wow, that's not, incredible analysis right there. He's a okay, shooter, like, very sorry. good shooter. My brain is fried. There's so many trades, uh, but he's a great shooter. Uh, one um, thing I want to add is he fits also very nicely in like the age range of this team. He's he's correct. a he. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, young. I, I don't know. He he not young. He's he fits. He, the camaraderie is going to be uh, there. The chemistry is going to be there because he he's yeah. in their age range. He's not like some old head who's just going to go over there and be like, "John Morant, it's it's good to see you, buddy." <laughs> Yo, this is how you know the podcast has been going on too long. We start getting in these impressions. Last, okay, last trade, last trade. Okay, we want. I want to talk about Sadiq Bay going to the Hawks. James Wiseman going to the Pistons and Gary Payton being reunited in Golden State. 
And I guess the Blazers also got five second round picks, but we talked about that. Yeah, Sadiq Bay to the Hawks doesn't really matter because I really don't think this makes an impact. They already have John Collins. They already have Clint Capella. Maybe he's going to be a backup big for them, but whatever. I think the really big storyline here is the failure of James Wiseman for this Warriors team. Yeah. Um, I think great Gary Payton's back with the Warriors, but really they gave up their first over or was it first or second overall second, pick? Second overall. Se- pick. The, so they gave up a second overall pick in 2020 for Gary Payton II, a guy who was undrafted. That's, you have to put that in perspective. They could have had LaMelo Ball. I mean, yeah. think of the kind of value of a guy they could have gotten. Could you imagine a team with Steph, Clay, Poole, and LaMelo Ball? Like, that That is just sounds so nasty. And obviously, they don't, maybe, maybe they didn't want to deal with LaVar, the storylines, whatever. Whatever it was they didn't want. James Wiseman never really got the opportunity. I feel bad for him. He got injured. And he never got the chance to shine because this is a team that was a win-now mentality. And they didn't really have the space for him because this is a very hard system to learn. And I really hope by being on the Pistons, he'll have that chance to develop because they do have a lot of patience and a lot of time to work with him. Yeah, and I think it's kind of funny. It seems like every team is just kind of sending their, like, you know, just, just kind of sending their failure failed big men to... uh the Pistons. I mean, I think of the Kings sending Marvin Bagley. Marvin Bagley, yeah. Yeah, so, but I think James Wiseman playing alongside, you know, Jaden Ivey, Cade Cunningham, I think that this is going to be a great fit. I think he's finally going to have some room to grow and to thrive. I wouldn't be surprised if he really elevates his game and showed us why he was a top draft prospect in Detroit. Uh, I think that, you know, the expectation for him in Golden State, especially being such a high draft pick, might have been too much, you know. Some players aren't really built like that to just like kind of, you know, have all that pressure and to kind of play up beyond that. So I think he he's really going to do wonders in Detroit. I just think that for the Warriors, the return that they got, um, just getting their Gary Payton back, I think he's going to be nice. Like they, they obviously he was obviously a big part of their championship run, uh, and I think it's going to be a a happy reunion. Uh, but still, I think that they gave up too much. Like to give up on this guy so early to get an undrafted player, pretty much. I, I think it, I think it was time to part ways with James Wiseman, but I thought they'd get way more out of it. Yeah, I'm so, saying like if you're gonna part ways with him, like get a like a you know a starting caliber guy. Yeah, I like, thought they were gonna maybe make a trade with the the Raptors for the guy like OG Ananobi or something. OG Ananobi, yeah, that's the guy I would have wanted to see on this team, but you know, probably things didn't pan out. Um, but yeah, I guess. Yeah. That kind of wraps up all the trades. Yeah, I mean, I think if you want, we can just go to next episode to talk about the winners and losers. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because this has been a long pod, and we don't want to bore the fans anymore. I've already started doing weird impressions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I guess come back next week to hear about the biggest winners and losers of this trade deadline, and we'll probably start talking about the impl- implementation of some of these uh, players on their new teams and maybe the the big winners and the big losers based on just the eye tests for the first week. Definitely. This was an exciting trade deadline. Like I, I don't think either of us expected it to be this explosive, but it was, it's been incredibly fun. Uh, and hopefully, you know, you're able to keep track of that and get some good insight from this episode. And so thank you all so much for listening. Really appreciate it. And we'll see you all next week. Take care. Peace. Bye.